I have a question for you this morning as we begin. Do you have a phobia? Do you have a particular fear of something? That's what phobia simply means, be afraid of something. Some people are claustrophobic, right? Afraid of closed spaces. Um, There's all kinds of phobias that exist. So I thought I would begin this morning by admitting my own phobia to you this morning. I am an arachnophobic. I am afraid of spiders. So if you ever see me jump in the pulpit, um, it's probably because there's one crawling, and that has happened before as I've preached to you. I'm afraid of spiders. Now, I know that sounds silly uh, to probably many of you, because really, in the grand scheme of things, I'm a giant compared to even the largest species of spiders. Um, but I am scared to death of them. I do not like them at all. I don't like the sense of them crawling on me. I don't like the sense of them being like under my covers in the bed or finding one around my bed freaks me out. I do not want to go to bed or be in my room. Um, And when my wife married me, she had no idea that I was going to be the one asking her to take care of this in our home together. Her father told her one day, oh, honey, you'll marry somebody who will take care of that for you. And she was like, no, dad, that did not work out that way. Now, I could talk to you all day long about why I'm scared of spiders. That could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but I will spare you from those details. But I will tell you this. My biggest fear of spiders is that I fear two types of spiders, particularly. Two of the most dangerous spiders. One is the black widow and the other is the brown recluse. My uncle actually got bit by a brown recluse when I was young, and I saw what it did to him, and it scared me to death. Um, and, and so I'm scared of these poisonous spiders. Now, most spiders are harmless, but these two spiders are very dangerous, and the black widow, even the most dangerous. Did you know this, that a black widow's venom is 15 times more lethal than that of a rattlesnake? Fifteen times more. Now you're scared of spiders, right? You're going to be calling Terminex as soon as you get home tomorrow. Um, It amazes me that a creature so small, so small, has the power to inflict so much harm. That's scary to think about. So small. And I don't know about you, but... When I see a black spider in my house, or a brown spider in my house, immediately I think, it's a black widow, it's a brown recluse, you know, and and I immediately freak out about it. I I hate spiders, they're awful. I'm sure God has a purpose for them, and I'll ask God what that was when I meet him face to face. Now, I have to admit to you, our scripture readings today have nothing to do with spiders. I was looking for it, but there was nothing in there. But they do point us towards a very similar reality. That the tongue, as small as it is, one of the smallest muscles in our body, has the potential too to be quite deadly. Quite deadly. Our first proverb we read this morning from Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. According to our proverb, the tongue, while very small, has an impact that is disproportionate to its size. It has the power to bring life, to be life-giving. 
But like a black widow spider, it has the power also to inflict venomous poison that can be quite deadly. Likewise, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 tell us, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. I find that our words matter. The speech that rolls off the tip of our tongues has the ability to do much good, but it also has the capability to inflict much harm. Now, all of you are familiar with the saying that we grew up as children hearing, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That is not a biblical proverb. That's not even a biblical truth. Sticks and stones can indeed break your bones, but I got good news for you. Your bones can heal over time. But I find that harsh words do far more damage than sticks and stones because harsh words pierce the soul and break the spirits. And unfortunately, we do not have splints and casts that can help heal our spirit. Proverbs 12, verse 18, puts it this way for us. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Once again, the tongue can kill or the tongue can offer life. And this truth has existed ever since sin entered into this world for the very first human beings who disobeyed God. And we've lived in a broken world ever since where most often the words that are spoken pierce others like swords rather than bandaging the wounds of the scarred. You do not have to look far to see the reality of this here in our own nation. As Americans, we celebrate the right of free speech in our country, but our free speech is often spoken too freely, tearing down rather than building up. Turn on your television sets, turn on the news, and you will see the news reports each and every day of our president and of members of our Congress constantly using words against one another. Rarely, rarely do we ever hear reports of our representatives offering gentle answers that turn away wrath. Instead, Reckless words are spoken attacking or defending oneself that perpetuate anger and promote a polarization of partisan politics in our country. I see it all the time. Labels thrown at one another intended to demean, such as, you are a snowflake, or you are a rhino, or a Republican in name only. These things are intended to demean and to put down make others less than. And we see that amongst the political discourse in this country. I was reading a recent survey by the Pew Research Center, and it stated that more than eight out of ten adults, by the way, this has no bounds when it comes to whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, whatever, eight out of ten adults agree that political debate in our country has become more negative and less respectful. And 73% of Americans agree that elected officials should abstain from using heated language because it encourages violence. But I find, even though we agree on that, that it's not limited to politics in our country. In fact, this type of behavior happens even in our own communities. 
Now, we live in a technological world where discourse is no longer face-to-face. We can send easily passive-aggressive emails to one another, or we can spread gossip-filled information to multiple people just with the touch of a button. We live in a different kind of world. We live in the world of social media where Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are means in which we use each and every day and also allow us to be more bold in what we say without having to look at anyone when we say it. Many, I find, who are typically shy in person, maybe more introverted, they have a sense of empowerment when they are online because they feel emboldened to say whatever they think whether it is good or whether it is bad, whether they agree with someone or disagree with someone, or whether or not they are concerned with facing any type of backlash, because backlash are just words printed, not words at you. Many people get into arguments online about whatever, having differences of opinion, and so often I see them escalate from a debate to personal attack about an individual, to the point where it becomes bullying of one another. Speaking of bullying, cyberbullying has become a reality amongst our teenagers, primarily, who slander and belittle one another, and they do that to people they do not like. And when they do that, they do that like a a pack of wolves attacking their prey. And the sad part is, I have read so many stories of young children, teenagers and preteens, committing suicide because of cyberbullying that is taking place in our world. This is venomous behavior, deadly poison that can cause great harm. And you know that the world in which we live in is filled with hate-filled speech on a daily basis. Racism is still a problem in our country There are words spewed that are sexist in nature or homophobic, trying to make people feel less than while trying to elevate one's self. And some, I'm afraid, even do so in the name of the Lord as if they are honoring God with their actions. But these are the ways of those outside the church, aren't they? Christians know better than that. And they don't participate in such behavior, do they? (laughs) Unfortunately, they do. Unfortunately, they do. And so James, James speaks to the church, and particularly to the teachers of the church about this very thing. So he tells us this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Yes, even the church is guilty of speaking harmful words to one another. Now, I have to tell you, I am afraid of spiders, and I hate those things, but I am more afraid of something else. You see, as a pastor, As a shepherd, as a leader in the church, I'm most afraid of saying something that would offend and hurt someone else, a way that would misrepresent Christ. I know that I'm not perfect, but that's not a justification to say things without thinking about them. 
If words have the potential to inflict great harm upon people, and they also have the ability to bring healing and life, I always want to speak in ways that encourage and build up. Words that challenge and comfort, and to always speak the truth in love. But I have to confess to you, I don't always live up to that as faithfully as I should. Years ago, when I was serving the church in Spartanburg, I was in youth ministry at the time. I was the youth director of a fairly large church, and we would take a number of students to Mexico every year to serve. And we did so one particular year. We worked with a different organization called World Servants, and while we were gathered there that week, we worked with the staff from this organization, and they would help uh, line up things for us, all of our mission work, and then in doing so, they would serve alongside of us, and in addition to that, they would join us for worship and Bible study together. And so I had the privilege of meeting a number of college students who were working for that organization during that week, and, and I enjoyed many conversations with them while we were there. But fast forward about two years later, And I received an email from one of these particular students that I had met during my week while we were there. And he emailed me a rather long message, actually, that was bothering him. Something was eating at him. There was something that I had said to him while we were there that week that he had been pondering for two years. And he finally got the courage to send me a note to ask me about it. When he mentioned it to me, I didn't even remember that I had said it. I, I didn't really know what was the context or anything. And, and it bothered me because I knew that it was bothering him and that obviously I had inflicted some sort of harm to him in what I had said. I felt terrible about that. And I reached out to him and I profusely apologized to him, asked for his forgiveness, but I knew that the damage was done. He he forgave me, but I knew that it still bothered him. You see, James, he goes beyond the point that we can speak blessings and curses out of the same mouth. He makes it even more poignant by stating that we do this to those who have been made in God's likeness, in God's image. In other words, we have all been created by the same God. That means that we're all special in God's eyes and that while we are sinful, our sin does not obliterate the image of God in us. It's present in us. And so we bless and we sing praises to God, but we are quick to dismiss one another even though we are all God-like. And what I mean by that is that we are all worthy of dignity and respect. But we don't always treat each other with dignity. And respect. And I am sure that this young man's hurt came about because I was a Christian. I was a teacher in the church. I was the leader of our group that week. And he looked up to me to represent Jesus, not just in my work, but also in my words. And I find that if you approach a spring expecting to get fresh water and it pours out salt water, it can leave a bad taste in your mouth. And it can even make you sick. You see, that's one of my greatest fears. Misrepresenting Jesus and potentially weakening the faith of someone else. Because our words matter. And I want to bring healing to those who are broken, not kick them while they're down. I want people to know that I love Jesus, not just because I'm a pastor in a church, 
but because streams of living water are flowing from my heart and my life and my lips, not because I'm some great person, but because God has done this work in me. Church, what about you? Is that how you want to live your life? If so, your words matter. Jesus, responding to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law who asked him why his disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands before they ate, he said to them this, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Jesus notes that evil can flow from our hearts, and right out of our hearts, right out of our mouths. And although James and Jesus both address church leaders, we are all representatives of Jesus, for we believe in the Presbyterian church that we are the priesthood of all believers. It means that we all are called into the faith to go and to share that good news. We don't get a free pass to say whatever we want just because we're not ordained or because we don't work on a church staff. We have got to be more mindful of what we say, particularly the negative ways that we represent Jesus in our speech and how it might affect someone else's faith. We're called, as followers of Jesus, to exercise the fruit of the Spirit known as self-control. And as we studied this summer, these are fruit that, that exist in our life because the Spirit exists in our lives. So it's not something that we have to figure out. It's something that's there. We've got to practice it together. And so it means that if someone intentionally rubs you the wrong way, and trust me, that will happen in life. If someone rubs you the wrong way, rather than allowing your emotions to rage in response and you blurting out something like toothpaste coming out of a tube that you cannot put back in, be wise. Pause. And respond wisely so as not to escalate and perpetuate anger. As a common practice myself, if I receive an email or a phone call or or something that I know someone's upset and angry, whether they're angry with me or angry about something in the church or angry about whatever, I refuse to respond to that message immediately. I have begun to practice a 24-hour rule that I will not respond for 24 hours because I need to pray, (laughs) I need to reflect, I need to think about how I'm going to respond to that individual so I do not say something that I will later regret. But I also recognize that that sometimes you and I have a tendency to treat strangers actually better than those who are actually close to us. We can be really nice to those that we don't know well, but when we get into our homes, sometimes We cannot be so nice to those that we love. It's easy for me to complain about my wife or my children, the things that they do that irritate me. And I can focus on those negative things and I can point them out to them and I can certainly point them out to others. But the truth is that there are far more wonderful things that they do that I often don't praise them for. What if... What if we became more intentional in offering words of affirmation rather than words of criticism? How might this spur life and blessing and healing even in our own homes? And furthermore, what would happen if we intentionally 
chose to speak more positively to everyone, all who are created in the image of God. I find that so often we are unaware of the scars and the wounds that people wrestle with on a day-to-day basis. So many people have been told that they're not good enough. So many have been told that they're, they're not pretty enough or slim enough. Others have been told that they're, well, they're just not smart enough or that they're not worthy enough. And when someone's been told that they're not good enough over and over and over again, you know what happens? They start to believe that. And they believe it. How could God use our tongue? To provide a healing salve to bind up the brokenhearted. Do you realize that words of affirmation and blessing have the power to drown out the darkness of despair with God's hope filled light? We have the power to do that in the ways that we respond. And so it's true. It's true that our words can be as venomous as poison. But our words can also be like medicine to the sick. I find it interesting that every time that I get sick and I go to the doctor, they write me this thing called a prescription. And then I go to the pharmacy. And I'm generally greeted by some wonderful church members at the pharmacy who are quick to help fill that for me. But usually that medicine comes in a small little bottle. And when I open it up, It's in a small pill form. It's really tiny. But I'm told that I'm supposed to put that into my mouth, to to ingest it into my body. And if I do so for a few days, it'll actually make me better. You know, pills are small too. But they pack a powerful punch. And they can bring healing the illnesses that plague us. Words matter. You see, we've been given the opportunity to bless, not curse. To honor, not abuse. To encourage, not criticize. And to comfort, not destroy. But the question, the question remains, what will we choose to do with that? tongue as the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And our tongues, while so small, they can have such a large impact for Christ, both good and bad. And rather than allowing salt water to infiltrate the wellspring of our hearts, may we together overflow with living water that flows freely from the Holy Spirit who gives life and healing to everyone. And in doing so, God can use our words to make a positive impact on others and even in the world in which we live. And you know, who knows? It's quite possible that maybe one day you'll receive an email or maybe a phone call from someone who tells you that they've never forgotten the way that you touch their heart with your kind and loving words. Friends, may this be the fruit that we choose to eat, the fruit that bears life. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
Amen.